Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping, dealer, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. If you'd like to receive a Axon Alliance Tire branded pocket knife, go to marketing at axontire.com and they'll send you a free Alliance Tire pocket knife to take advantage of this offer. Uh, go to marketing at axontire.com and tell them that the Moving Iron podcast sent you. Uh, Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Dot com. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and is nice enough to come on once, a, once or twice, actually twice a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. And Sean, uh, plenty of stuff happening here. We had a big reversal on Friday. Obviously, some some big profit taking took place there. And uh, yesterday, uh, everybody jumped back in, and prices kind of came back to where they were uh, as of Thursday morning or uh, Thursday at the close. Um, that's just another hint of this big time volatility you've been talking about through this whole uh, geopolitical. You know, we're going to rush in, get our, see what we can do, and then bounce back and see when, when we feel the pressure. So I guess talk a little bit about that overall volatility you're seeing right there. Well, no one knows, no one knows what's going on. Right. So, um, you know, everyone, there's, everyone's trying to get their five minutes of fame and go on there and say they know that nobody knows anything. Right. Uh, what the media is telling you is not the truth. What the politicians are telling you is not the truth. Uh, somebody knows the truth, but not the people we're hearing from. And so you have to accept that we just don't know. And in a period where you don't know, the only thing you can do is say to yourself, uh, where do I want to place my risk? So if I'm a corn producer, what risk am I willing to take in a situation where um, this could create $10 corn or it could create $6 corn or $5 corn easily in either direction, depending on which way this situation goes okay i think that if i was a corn producer casey you know for the better part of two years i've been suggesting corn in the bin is the place to be it's your best way to strategize and to speculate with paper to the to the downside 
uh, I actually now think I would be going the opposite way. I would be bringing money home on the, to the farm at these prices. Um, and I would speculate on paper to some wild upside that could absolutely occur, by the way, depending if this geopolitical situation were to escalate to something far more severe. I just think you don't want to let these prices escape you suddenly because you were betting on a $10 corn market that never occurred. I think that's the, the takeaway I'm feeling is the right strategy for producers is to do that. Um, and if you think, if you want to go for a $10 corn market and go buy some call options to protect those sales that you just made. But I just, I think, I think we're reaching levels on the charts, Casey, that um, I really feel you have to bring some of that money home to the farm. Um, so from a tactical standpoint, from a risk management standpoint, um, I think that's where I would be trying to steer my customers and those that are listening into that kind of a strategy, knowing full well we have no idea how this is going to turn out. Right, so. exactly. Okay, so let's talk about two things. One is, um, well, three things actually. So one is is oil, obviously. Russia is a large producer of oil right now. Um, they have been uh, removed from SWIFT accounts, but there's the varying degree of, of how it's going to hit the energy market. You got the natural gas pipelines coming out, uh, natural gas coming out of Russia into Europe, and then you got the whole Black Sea area down there where that's just for exporting in general, you know, incoming and importing and exporting as well. Um, with Russia um, being a large wheat producer like they are, the turmoil, I mean, obviously they're not going to go fill up a cargo ship full of wheat right now and export it someplace. They're going to be keeping those stocks just because of, uh, for, you know, food and everything else to, to feed the the war machine that's going on there. Same with Russia, or same with Ukraine. They're going to be in a similar situation across the board. Um, so basically you have an entire area now that's just on complete lockdown, no imports, no exports um, of really anything uh, at that point. And then you've got, you throw that on top of, Russia, Belarus, or southern Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus are, are three of the largest producers of, of various materials made to, to make fertilizer. You kind of throw that all on top of there now, and you're looking at input costs are already going to go, they're already higher, going to get higher, and then now you've got a whole region locked down that's not going to get any any crop mix out at all, even for that matter. Who knows what they'll get planted in, in, in the time frame. So, I mean, looking at that, just that that whole part of the world right there, I mean, what what do you expect to see happen out of that? I mean, I mean, is this? I mean, you just talked about ten dollar corn and and twenty dollar soybeans and those kind of things. You keep hearing people banter that around. I mean, is that even if it stopped tomorrow, this is a whole thing that's got to get unraveled to get you know things moving again. I mean, so I guess what what are your? I guess what what do you see happening there? I mean, what is your what's your thought process there? Well, obviously, it is a very serious situation. It's why we have ten dollar wheat right now. Right. Uh, you know, that's why we have prices where they're at. Now, obviously, the longer this goes on, you know, the longer this takes to reopen the ports, to get things open again, I mean, the more, I mean, the world, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Russia was not that big of a deal when it comes to the ag markets. They just, they were a player, but not the player. But now they are the player in terms of wheat, especially. So the world cannot do without those supplies. They just simply cannot do without them. There's not enough supply elsewhere um, if those supplies are unavailable. Now, they, of course, at some point, they're all going to be available. At some point, they'll be sold. 
when you are running a money machine, a war machine, you have to be funded. So wars historically, you will eventually, they will eventually have to sell some stuff to raise money to keep the war going, whether that's Russia, whether that's Ukraine, whoever it is. So it's not that those supplies will never be sold. It's, a, it's the uncertainty of how long do we have to go before they become available. And as you said, even when they start opening it up, uh, how long will it take for those supplies to, uh, you know, to get moving again? The way it looks to me, you know, and to the extent that you can trust anything you read or anything you hear, um, when Russia went over to China during, I guess it was the Olympics, I guess it was, mm -hmm. and they had this big meeting and they, you know, agreed, you know, that uh, and now the, uh, China approved imports of wheat. They had priorly said they wouldn't want to accept wheat from Russia because of some quality problem. Um, it, it just seems to me that what's going on is that China and Russia, um, Russia has agreed to sell China what it needs. If you need wheat, we'll sell it to you. If you need crude oil, we'll sell it to you. If you need, you know, whatever the commodities that we have that you need, we'll sell it to you. And I think that's how Russia is going to fund itself. So I think we have to be careful of, it. I'm not sure it means that those supplies are not available. It's just not available to anybody but China. And to the extent that China gets those supplies, that means China will not be as desperate to buy those supplies in the open market from other people, meaning that they're going to be satisfied. They're going to get what they need. Now, the rest of the world is going to be scrambling. The rest of the world that's been, that relies on a lot of those supplies are going to have to go searching elsewhere for the product. But I think that's the game that seems to be set up here is China funding Russia, Russia satisfying China's needs for imported commodities of, of a strategic sense, um, and the rest of the world scrambling. And so uh, the only thing that Russia, I mean, that China will not get from Russia is soybeans. Because we know that Russia and Ukraine don't produce a lot of, although 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 Ukraine does produce a lot of, uh, are the dominant producer of sunflowers and mm -hmm. sunflower oil, which of course is an important vegetable oil in the global veggie oil market. Um, you know, they're not a big su supplier of soybeans and bean meal and that sort of thing. So from that perspective, that's the one commodity that China will have to go out and bid in the open market. Uh, fortunately for them, South America is in the heat of harvest. Um, and one can, you know, and even though the crop is not as large as we thought it would, there's going to be plenty of supply from Brazil and ultimately from Argentina if those countries are willing to sell to China. There should be plenty of supplies to get China through, you know, the next three or four or five months without having a supply pitch on soybeans if those are if those countries are willing sellers. And I would have to believe at these prices they're going to be willing sellers because they need money too, like everybody else. So uh, we're in the panic phase. You know, we're in a, pay, a phase where everyone's panicking, hoarding is going on. Um, I'm sure you're going to be seeing television uh, pictures and videos of people running to the store and empty shelves all over the world because people are going to be worried about running out of food. We're in this cycle, Casey, and it, it has to run its course. But it, you know, but it has to it can change extremely quickly. I mean, the futures market can go way down well before the first shipments of wheat leave, leave the Ukraine ports. I think you have to understand the future futures market is a future-looking mechanism, meaning it's supposed to tell you what it's worried about coming forward. Before you, you know those first supplies come out, you know you could see the corn price or the wheat price. But we saw on Friday how quickly things can change. So that's mm -hmm. why I'm saying 
right now, if I'm a farmer, a producer, I would be bringing some of this cash home. I'd be selling some of this cash from last year's crop. I'd be selling forward some of the, of the sales from the crop that I'm going to be producing. And I, if I want to speculate for a wild ride, a $20 market for soybeans or whatever the number is, I just do that on paper with a defined risk. I think that's the best way to manage this, Casey, because one day we're going to wake up, we're going to have a podcast, and things are good, and we're going to see that there's going to be some truce of some sort, and we're going to limit down two or three days on end. And you don't want to be trying to sell your cash as a farmer in, in a limit down environment. You'll have missed it. You have to be selling when the going is good and people are bidding up the market, even though you might get run over a few times. I think that is. What my experience is, one ought to be thinking about from a producer standpoint. So, right on. Okay, let's talk about energy for a little bit. Um, Brent, last night when I looked last, it was like one hundred and two dollars a barrel. Um, you, West, U.S. hit what U.S. hit one hundred and one today. Did U.S. Okay. All right. yeah, so West yeah. Texas is now one hundred and one. So um, obviously, the the energy side of this is, is going to continue to grow. You start seeing um, fuel costs and those kind of things start to, are going to are obviously already taken off and running. I think we're up thirty cents over the previous month in gasoline and diesel prices are are similar to that uh, in nature. So uh, as you continue to look at the energy market, I mean, again, it, it's going to be um, it, it's going to follow a similar trend to what we're seeing happen in the commodity market, obviously. But I guess as you take a look there, where, where are your where are your concerns at, and and what do you see? kind of a long-term picture there because i watched a few things yesterday on the news you know at, when they were talking about um you know global oil production and what that looks like and you know they were talking like you know the u.s if they turned everything back on the way it was before um biden shut stuff down it would be similar to uh it take three to six months to get to get a, another you know two or three million barrels of production a day uh, up and running so i mean obviously that's a that's a that's a longer frame picture of relief, I guess, as you look at what's going on there. So as you look at those things, what are your thoughts there? Well, the market realizes you just can't snap your finger and turn the spigot on right now. Right. So it's, tr it's trying to demand ration demand. It's trying to ration this demand. Remember, we're just getting to the point where we're reopening the global economy, right. and now we're trying to stop that. So it's a really, really crazy situation. You know, we, we, we let... We let the horses out of the gate, and now we're trying to tell them, no, 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 go back. Let's start over. You know, pretty hard to do. Right. So um, we look at credit default swaps. These are futures markets that trade credit default risk. They've been surging. It, you know, they've been surging like they did when the COVID thing took place. They're surging to the same extent that happened before the 08, 09 financial crisis. So what that means is that credit risk is growing rapidly around the world because we already know, knew or know, knew that the inflation we were seeing was starting to have an impact on the global economy. We know that when prices are, you know, when, when the prices of things are growing as fast as they are, disposable income is rapidly falling and your spending rapidly falls. So, you know, corporate credit default swaps surging. So, so emerging market um, credit default swaps surging. Everything says that what this, what's going on now, Casey, with this surge in energy prices, especially, is it's really, really putting the global economy, you know, into what is likely to be an extremely um, high risk of a serious, serious recession later this year. That's the consequence of this. 
Um, and so we have to be very, very careful because once we've rationed the demand and once we've crushed the economy um, and once whatever's going on you know, with this Russian situation comes down, you know, the markets have a big hole to fill to come back down and, and find where that demand could come back and re, you know, rekindle the global economy. So there's a lot of serious consequences. Well, as I was just looking at the savings rate in the U.S. because we have very good data on that. And, you know, of course, during COVID, the savings rate surged because everybody was home and they just, if they were working, they just put, you know, all the money they were, would have spent, they put it in their bank accounts and their brokerage accounts. And so, but now we've been seeing an absolute collapse in savings rates back below where they were in 2019, meaning people are more and more using their savings to support their lives because of the rising price of living. These are not good trends, Casey. For, for longer term demand for things like crude oil, things like gasoline, things like driving. You know, I mean, those, these are the, this is the intermediate term picture. So the, what I foresee potentially happening is in three to six months with this price, with these prices we're seeing, we're going to see that production grow in the U.S. and elsewhere just as the demand goes away or substantially you know, retreats. And, you know, that's the boom-bust cycle, unfortunately, that we see over and over again. The oil shock of the 1970s, we saw this happen. The oil shock of 2008, we saw this happen. I mean, this is not a new – oil shocks are not new to the global economy. And when it gets out of hand, you know, we tend to see these boom-bust cycles. So, so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm continuing as bullish as the current situation is to a short-term rise in price – one must not lose sight of the fact that what happens in the aftermath, in the hangover period after these, these situations, it gets very, very ugly in a hurry and we get overshoots. So I, I really want to emphasize as hard as it may be to think about the downside right now, I think that's actually where the risks are at this point um, in terms of people who are operating in the commodity space, I really think they're underestimating the power of how quickly these high prices can erode very, very quickly when we get to that point where supply and demand are out of whack on the other side of the equation. Now, but now it might mean, Casey, it might mean $150 barrel oil before we get to that point. I'm not saying we're at the top at all, and I'm not saying anyone can predict that. What I'm saying, though, is you know, just be very careful uh, about outliving your stay here. These, are, these prices are not sustainable and won't be sustainable um, given what I am seeing as these key leading indicators of global economic contraction, the demand is not going to be there in the longer term to support these prices that I from what I from where I'm standing right now. Okay. So. All right. So as you look at, uh, well, let's see, I'm torn here. I could talk to you for hours this morning, but there's, uh, um, let's let's jump down and talk about what's going on in. Uh, in the cattle and the pork markets, so cattle markets have been they've been getting kicked around a little bit here. Obviously, as prices of, of oil and those things come up, it's usually a direct correlation back to cattle prices. As they, you know, oil goes up, cattle prices go down. We're seeing some of that um, over the last couple of days. You know, hogs have been um, kind of hanging in there and keeping things moving. So, um, again, I guess as you look at these those two particular thing what, what are your thoughts what are your thoughts there as, as we go through this time frame 
Well, feeder cattle are always, always extremely sensitive to the feed price, to the corn feed price, to the replacement wheat feed price. And when they go up, they have the feeder market always gets hit very hard as it has. The live cattle market, you know, that, of course, that's the first market that tends to be sensitive to what I just discussed, this future worry about the economy. It's the highest price meat protein out there taking fish off the table in certain instances. <clears throat> so, so that's the market that's going to say, you know, we're, we're, we're going to worry about it first. We know that cheaper pork, cheaper chicken, you know, th th they'll be impacted, but, you know, they're not the first. The first, you don't cut chicken and pork out of your diet immediately. The first thing you cut out of your diet is higher-priced beef, not only at home, but, you know, the, the going out to the steakhouses and that sort of thing. And so, so certainly that sentiment is being priced in to the cattle market for sure. Now, we have the other, we have a problem in the cattle market. We have very, very low animal feeding units this coming season everywhere, meaning that our supplies, from our calculation, the supply of animals that can come to the market globally will be down 5% in the next 12 months. And there's no, there's no way to change that. This is, that's just a cycle we're in. So, so we're going to have a contraction of available animal beef supply of about 5%, which means that that should help be a pretty good buffer to preventing the cattle market from, uh, falling the way that it might that it has has in the past meaning i think there's a reason um you know that the cattle market can actually you know dig its heels in here and and sort of begin to say you know what this is this is you know it, it, if we ruin the production potential or the profit potential for beef to, for cattle producers all over again then those supplies are going to be even lower the following i mean at some point you have to price in you know demand eventually for beef is going to come back right so so i think yeah Cattle's been hit, but I think there's a, there's a limit to how much further it's going to get hit here based upon economic concerns. Um, that would be a market that I would say probably has a reason to bounce on any easing of some of these tensions in Russia. I mean, that, that would be a bounce candidate versus the grains, which would be a can, you know, candidates for uh, declines in price. So. Right on. Okay. All right, Sean. Hey. All right, Sean. So, like, like I said, I could talk to you for the remainder of the uh, of the day here about this stuff but obviously we, we can't do that so i think that's probably a good place to stop so if folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is that you're doing over hack financial what's the best way to do that our website is hackett h-a-c-k-e-t-t advisors.com lots of information on there that tell people what we do and what i would say casey is the one thing we're going to be looking at um that we always look at and that we think is going to be extremely important during this time where we really don't know what's going on is, as you know, we follow smart money capital flows in the ag markets that we follow very carefully. We get this information every Friday afternoon from the CFTC COT report, and we've handpicked certain elements of that report and we run it through our algorithm and tells us what the smart money is doing or behaving. That's as of Tuesday. So as of the close of Tuesday, this coming Friday, we're going to, we're going to find out what, how is the smart money handling this environment? What are, what are they doing? How are they hedging? Because where, where, you know, they would probably be the people that would know more about what's going on than anybody else. Okay? And I think it's really going to be important to find out what are they doing right now with all of this going on. Are they, are they buying into the move? Are they selling? And so I think that's going to be a really good benchmark, Casey, um, and for any of your listeners that would want to know what they're doing, um, yeah, I'd be more than happy to 
these are really important trying times and I'm here to help anyone that, that needs it. Uh, you know, I'd be more than happy to provide that. What we do is we put out a kind of a smart money algorithm podcast that goes over this. And I'd be more than happy for those that are interested to send that out to your listeners if they have an interest. Uh, I just think it's, it'd be really, really important to, to, to find out what they're doing. Um, and, and we will put that out over the weekend. So, so, you know, however you want to let your listeners know, I just think it's really important that they know what, what they're doing. And, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm more than happy to offer that to your listeners. Yeah. So take, take, take Sean up on that. Cause I get, he sends those out to me when, when he sends those, those podcasts out and just the, the various newsletters that comes along with them. And I can tell you right now, the information that comes out of that, out of those, uh, letters or out of those podcasts and out of the, the newsletter there are it's a lot of information that i haven't heard anywhere else and a lot of a lot of stuff that, that sean looks at is a lot different than, than what most people take a look at so sean if folks just want to email you is that the best way to do that yeah uh, the best is to email us at sean that's s h a w and as a nancy at hackett h-a-c-k-e-t-t advisors.com just send me an email say moving iron uh smart money whatever, how you want, you know, so I know to send it to you. This is not a time to mess around, Casey. I'm really important yeah. that, that your listeners get this right, um, and we're here to help in any way we can. Yeah, take so. him up on that, because there's going to be some great information that you're not going to find other places. So, Sean, appreciate you doing that, man. A- anytime, Casey. This is a, this is a really uh, critical time, and we're, you know, we're, we're in a position to help. So Right on. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure to check me out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also LinkedIn. I put some stuff there as well. Check that out. Um, go to uh, movingironllc.com. Uh, great place to see what's going on with Moving Iron. Uh, also get all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6th, 7th, and 8th. Um, and Moving Iron blog. Just post a new blog. Uh, it's out there on the social media sites as well as the website. Kind of talking about the planner market where I see that going well with uh, what we see happening here right now. Uh, long-term kind of outlook on that so if you're interested in checking that out go to movingironllc.com and you can find it all there sean appreciate you being on the podcast thank you casey it's a really uh interesting time to be uh to be doing to be involved in the ag space and i'm really like as, as i say always and i really really mean this grateful to have this conduit with you to do this at such times yeah so. um, i appreciate you being on man so with that i'm casey seymour or sean hackett let's move some iron folks out Axon Tire is going to have more tips, tricks, and client advice throughout the year and in September at the Moving Iron Summit in Nashville. If you're looking to sign up for the event, please head over to movingironllc.com. We hope to see you there. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransitinc.com for all of your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving on